Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy, co-founder of KidsViews.com, and I am here in the studio today with Andrea Smith, our technology guru. In studio. Started with Andrea <laughs> today. Um, and Amy Ostan of SelfishMom.com. Hello. You can't see because we're in the studio, but they totally switched places. Don't That's you just, I just there, Amy? No. I just sat in the empty chair. I guess I got there last. <laughs> All right. Through I'm me. easy. Um, today on the show, we're really excited. We're having an entire episode about Hour of Code, and it's really Hour of Code Week next week, which is, so there's a whole week celebrating Hour of Code, and there are all these times where you can do an Hour of Code, and we have some special guests to really dive into this and talk about this this week. The first segment we're going to do is with Deirdre Kornstrom. She is Director of Minecraft Education at Microsoft. She'll be joining us on the phone. I know, it's like (laughs) the best job ever. Um, And our second segment, we're going to have Mark Engelberg, who is a programmer and a creator of a game that you can actually play at home called Codemaster from ThinkFun, and he's going to talk about how you can bring coding home in a kind of low-tech way, which is cool. And then we'll have our Bites of the Week. So right now, joining us on the phone, we're very excited. We have Deirdre Quarnstrom. She's Director of Minecraft Education at Microsoft. I'm just going to keep saying your job, Deirdre. Is that okay? Because we think it's so That's cool. okay. It's cool. <laughs> um, and you're responsible for the outreach and product development for Minecraft in education. And you know, I don't know how many people realize um, that Microsoft bought Minecraft. I don't think, I don't know if that kind of hit the regular parent world in the same way because um, fortunately Minecraft didn't really change. Um, It's the same completely immersive, addictive game their children have come to love and obsess over. But um, now that Microsoft is on board, you guys are doing some really interesting, creative outreach and education along with Minecraft. So can you talk a little about that and sort of how Minecraft has evolved under Microsoft? Sure, yeah, about a year ago, we uh, acquired Minecraft in the Mojang studio that created Minecraft. And it's been really pretty magical to bring together some of the resources that Microsoft has along with the innovation and creativity that um, the Mojang team brought into the Minecraft game. So um, for me, I'm totally dedicated to figuring out how do we make Minecraft more accessible to students and teachers and educators. Um, librarians, other people that are working in um, informal learning environments as well. Um, so I work with the Mojang team um, and, and just thinking about what can we do with Minecraft, how can we build on what's already happening in schools today. How are schools using Minecraft? It, it's um, kind of everywhere in all different grade levels. So we see in some of the early elementary grades, teachers bringing Minecraft in to introduce students to, to technology, to working with a mouse and keyboard. Often students don't have access to technology at home, or if they do, it's um, with a tablet or an iPad, and so they're not used to a mouse and keyboard. So Minecraft can be a really a great equalizer um, for teachers in those early grades, just for navigating a virtual environment, for using a mouse and keyboard. Um, they're also using it to introduce digital citizenship, so um, sharing how, how do we work together online, what's appropriate behavior. Um, we wouldn't you know, reach across to someone's desk and, and touch one of their things. We shouldn't do that in a digital environment. In the older grades, um, they're using it. Um, sometimes one of the lessons that we see um, just for getting students used to moving around in a virtual environment is to recreate their classroom or their school. And that can be a really nice collaborative activity where um, 
students have to, they have to measure, they have to think about scale, um, they figure out how to work together. Um, and so you see leadership skills emerging. You see people who are maybe um, more on the sort of creative artistic side might work on a mural that exists in the school. Um, students, have, you know, jumping up, running to each other's desks, going out and measuring things in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see in, kind of in middle school often specific subject matter. Um, so the teacher might download a world that has some sort of historical setting or event and use that for a simulation. Um, I've seen students build a setting for a story or um, do math and science exercises. So it can be a really nice way to introduce um, basic concepts like um, measurement, um, perimeter area volume, um, and even more complex lessons in physics and coding. You know, it's funny, you've hit on one of Rebecca's pet peeves, and we talk (laughs) about this a lot. Um, And oftentimes, you know, we we know that kids get it. You know, even if they don't know how to do it, they get it once they're shown. How are the teachers being trained to teach the students these things? I mean, is that an issue, or, or how do you work with that? It is. It's definitely something that we look at, um, and we've we've done some different experiments. This uh, last spring at the ISTE Education Conference and also at our MindCon um, convention in London, we brought teachers in and we offered Minecraft, sort of Minecraft 101, um, and we didn't set it up like a typical training course. We really we brought them in and we put them in front of a computer and put a mouse and keyboard in their hands and had some had had people who have used Minecraft before, both students and adults, um, go through and and sort of show them some basic concepts in Minecraft. And the goal was to get them comfortable with kind of comfortable with being uncomfortable, so comfortable with learning, comfortable with jumping in and not quite knowing exactly what was going on. Um, I think one of the really wonderful things we see, I was in Northern Ireland a couple of months ago at the Culture Tech Festival. Northern Ireland um, purchased Minecraft licenses for all secondary schools in Northern Ireland. And so we had a big group of teachers who weren't going out and seeking this out on their own, but sort of had it handed to them. And so um, it was really fascinating to see how they were leaning in on it. Um, I was with a teacher. It was her first day using Minecraft in the classroom. And she had a student who hadn't played Minecraft before asking a question just about how to move around in the environment. And the teacher turned to another student who she knew played Minecraft and asked him to come over. And it was just, it was a really great moment to see the teacher recognize, okay, I've got somebody else in my room who's an expert and he happens to be 10. Um, <laughs> and really nice to see the pride from I that love student that. as well. <laughs> and yeah. Do you ever get any, was really proud. Do you ever get any blowback from parents who are like, I don't want my kid going to school and playing video games all day, you know, who just don't get it? How do you handle that? I expected a lot more of this. So kind of this time last year, I was in Stockholm, and I sat down with the Mojang team and said, hey, let's let's talk about your vision for education. And they said, hey, we think we can change the world. We think this really has an opportunity to um, introduce a different way of learning to drive incredible student engagement um, and also to get something that teachers, we once they use it, are really bought into it. And I expected a lot more pushback from parents and school administrators. And I really found um, people are they're excited, they're interested, they're curious. Um, I think the, you, you know, when I do have, you know, friends or people I meet who sort of make the comment of, you know, my kind of my kids buried in the screen, I don't know what they're doing. Um, I usually just suggest ask what they're doing. Because um, <laughs> I find like there's a ton of creativity and storytelling and creation and invention that's going on that's not really obvious unless you ask the question. And what I found is that kids are usually more than happy to tell you everything about what they're doing on Minecraft. 
<laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and that's something we see from teachers, too, is like sometimes students who don't like, um, think they don't like reading or writing, this can be a really great way to inspire them to write if they have a Minecraft writing assignment or even improving literacy skills because they want to get in and read their Minecraft handbooks. <laughs> So let's talk about the Hour of Code and how you guys are teaming up with Code.org to bring Minecraft to the Hour of Code. Yes. So we started talking to them back in February. Um, Hadi, who's one of the founders of Code.org, had approached us, and he he recognizes the sort of value of Minecraft with their target audience. And so um, we, we brought together a group of our game designers and game developers along with code.org developers and learning designers um, and put together this tutorial which is kind of it's a it's not Minecraft and so players will look and they'll recognize it's not Minecraft but it's um, bring some of the core elements of the game and so we wanted to make sure that players had choice and um, it's one of the things that that students and kids really like about playing Minecraft is this sort of open world feel so we wanted to bring as much of that in as possible so um, for example, on one of the levels, you, you can build a house, and we offered three different choices that students could pick for a house, a hard, medium, and easy. Um, and that's been great. We found about half of the students in our playtest choose the easy house, but 25% are choosing the, um, sorry, half choose the, the medium one, the a quarter are choosing the easy one, the quarter are choosing the hard one. So they really like that choice. They can choose if they want to play as Steve or Alex. Um, we also brought in some Minecraft elements that'll be familiar to players, but also fun for anybody who's new to the game. So things like creepers, um, things like you're able to shear a sheep, and that's kind of a magical moment on level two when the students realize they can actually shear a sheep. Um, it also introduces things like vocabulary, because some of our, like the second and third graders weren't familiar with the word shear. And so, you know, in addition to some basic coding concepts and having fun, we're introducing some basic vocabulary. So we have a set of, in the tutorial, there are 14 levels, um, and it introduces um, some basic computer coding concepts along the way, and then you'll have a couple levels to practice it. It gets increasingly challenging, and um, we've really tried to make it so it's um, kind of that hard fun and um, hard but not too hard. Um, and it ends on level 14 where it's an, an open play area and students can apply the concept so they can use repeat loops in order to clear the whole game board. Um, they can play with the different materials that they've collected on levels 1 through 13. And can they do this at home or do they have to be in a school program? No, they can do it at home. It's actually probably a fun activity for parents to do with their students as well. Um, it's um, it's intended for as an introduction, so anyone, even people who don't have any kind of um, computer coding experience, can get in there and play with it. Well, I was going to ask. You know, we talk about students and kids, but I bet a lot of adults would like to learn to code too. <laughs> yeah. Last year, my, my father-in-law did um, his hour of code and probably showed me a certificate. He was seventy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. So where can they go to do this? Yeah, so they go to the code.org site. Um, You can access it from uh, mobile devices, tablets, um, from PCs, of course. Um, And you can choose from the tutorials. So the Minecraft tutorials at code.org slash MC for Minecraft. And you can go right in there and play through that. And then there's a bunch of other resources available um, as well. I think we have, we're going to be putting out some challenges um, for that level 14, some fun challenges that classes or or families or kids can do on their own, um, things to create on that level 14. Then we have some other um, resources for Redstone. So within Minecraft, there's a material called Redstone, and you can use that to build some basic circuits. So it's a 
really nice way to take some of the coding concepts and basic computational thinking, things like logic gates, um, and create some simple machines and switches within Minecraft. Um, so that's something that we're, we're putting out um, to encourage kids to continue their computer science learning. Great. Well, we will have links to all that on our Facebook page so parents can find it. And thank you so much for joining us today. I think it was really informative. I think parents are... I don't, I don't want to say hesitant about Minecraft, but I think parents everywhere are figuring out how to integrate Minecraft without letting their children be totally obsessed <laughs> and, um, and still go outside. But this is a great way to really, I think, understand how Minecraft can help kids build and create and code. And teach coding. And teach coding yeah. in a way that is, it's not just playing a video game. Yeah. It's, it's way like, beyond that. It's like you want to do the five ways playing Minecraft can help you for a career in tech. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. They're learning. They're learning. Yeah, definitely. Deirdre, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank Thanks, you all. Deirdre. Bye. So great. So now you have all the information you need about Minecraft and you don't have to feel bad about your child being on Minecraft 22 <laughs> hours a day and waking up at six in the morning to get back on the computer before <laughs> they go to school and all the other stories we hear about kids who are completely addicted to Minecraft. We will be right back with our second topic, which is still on Hour of Code, but this is a very cool game. We have the creator of the game of Codemaster by Think Fun, and we're talking to him because this is actually a great low-tech way mm -hmm. to get your kids coding, which sounds crazy, but it's totally true. We'll be right back with that. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Hi, everyone. We are back with topic number two. We are joined on the phone by Mark Engelberg, the inventor of ThinkFun's Codemaster. He's also a computer programmer, a teacher, a dad, um, and he's here to join us. This is a game which we sort of teased in the previous segment that is a really fun really engaging way to get your kids coding basically in a really low-tech way it's a board game so hi mark hi <laughs> thanks for joining us today Thank you. um so it's hard to explain we're gonna have links to it on our show page but it's hard to explain to people that you can teach your kid to code not in front of a screen but actually like hands-on with a game how did you come up with this and sort of how does it work okay well um yeah so i i noticed you had a show i actually heard it from a couple weeks ago um about how much screen time kids get right <laughs> we talk about that all the time we hope you subscribed topic for you so um yeah i mean i'm a parent this is something that i've seen in my life too and i i wanted to teach my kids programming growing up and as they were growing up and you know, I'm I'm always feeling guilty about how much time they're spending on the screen, right? So I know there's value to having some alternatives to that. So that was, you know, certainly one aspect. But uh, the other kind of motivating factor is, as a teacher, I've noticed that kids behave completely differently when they're doing an activity on the computer versus off in terms of how well they focus. Um, my experience is that if you give some 
kid a challenging task off the computer, they're much more willing to just spend time really thinking through it carefully. Whereas you put them on the computer and for some reason the, the attention span goes down, the tendency is to just click and try things almost randomly. And, and I think there's some evidence to back that too. Uh, there's been some experiments with converting kids from doing sort of offline testing to online testing on the computer. And kids just seem to perform somewhat differently in online situations versus offline. So uh, one of the things I notice, I, I go to the Puget Sound uh, Computer Science Teachers Association meetings pretty regularly now for several years. And one of the common topics there is, um, you know, the, the teachers have these debates almost every time, like, why is it that some kids come into the classroom and they sort of get computer programming right away, and other kids just struggle and struggle? Like, what's the difference? And um, one of the theories that one of the professors raised, and he's got uh, some really good evidence to back this up, is that there is this kind of critical skill, which is the ability to think through in your mind how a computer program is going to execute, sort of step through it in your mind. And if kids can master that skill, then everything else with programming becomes dramatically simpler. Like that seems to be the key dividing factor between kids who sort of get it and kids who don't. And I thought, well, this is something that is totally teachable through a game. So uh, what I did is I ended up creating this game uh, with ThinkFun that is uh, it's really kind of a maze of colored pathways, and you're given, uh, you, you have a robot or an avatar character that you're trying to get to this portal destination on this map, and your goal is to find the right combination of colored pathways and lay out the tokens, lay out the program that moves the robot to that destination. And this process forces the kids, I mean, it's, it's meant to be a fun puzzle game, and, and uh, but the, uh, this forces kids to step through the program in their heads, as opposed to just, like I've found that when kids do a lot of these programming activities on the computer, they're not thinking through it first, right? They're just kind of clicking and sort of randomly arranging the instructions, running it, see what happens. If it doesn't work, they rearrange it, try something else. But this is really making you think through what's going to happen. I mean, you have to check your program yourself and run it to even know if you've solved the puzzle. So. But this is all off screen. I mean, you have to do this on the board game without looking at the computer? Correct. That's really interesting. And then, so they're figuring, it's almost, are they basically developing an algorithm for getting them, getting this robot through the path? Um, and then Exactly. Can they- and as the levels get more complicated, um, the idea is you keep you, you each puzzle you lay out your program on uh, this kind of flow chart that I created that we call a guide scroll and in the early levels it's just a straight set of instructions as the puzzle goes on uh, now we're introducing concepts like looping and if then branches and all these things are there and laid out program structure for you and you're putting the instructions in that kind of flowchart and uh, you need to really follow through and make sure you understand how this program is going to execute to solve the puzzle. So do the kids realize when they're doing this that what they're essentially doing is coding and that this is something that will translate onto the computer? Um, I, I think 
it's pretty clear when you play it that it has a programming theme to it. Okay. Um, do kids know or care that it, it <laughs> is going to transfer? I don't know that they necessarily realize it, but my experience is that this is exactly the skill they need to have to be able to tackle you know, harder programming classes later in life. So when they do approach those programming classes, they sort of have this thought process built in now. Exactly. Right? I mean, my goal is to sort of create a generation of kids, this is my ideal, that they all show up in their computer science class and their teachers are like, wow, all the kids now are the ones who get it. You know, this is awesome. So you bring up an important point, which is they show up to their computer science <laughs> class. So let's, I know that you're involved in that as well, in this push to really get computer science taught in our schools, just like math and English as a core subject, at least at some rudimentary level. Um, you know, how can parents, and maybe it's using simple games like this, but how can parents try to push for that in their classrooms and you know, why should they, in a day that's already so packed and teaching to the test and all the pressure that's on schools, how can we help parents advocate for computer science in their schools? Right. Well, one of the things that I've really been struck by uh, is the disconnect between the public and the school administrators. Um, Google recently commissioned a bunch of surveys uh, and polls run by Gallup. And you can uh, find this information pretty easily on the web. Uh, but one of the things their poll showed is that they would ask parents and students, they, they, the question, they'd ask the students things like, you know, what do you, do you think you are likely to use computer science in your career later in life? 90% of kids said yes. They'd ask the parents, you know, do you think your students are going to need, your kids are going to need computer science later in life? And, you know, 85% of them said yes. They asked administrators uh, how important, you know, do you, do you think parents in your school consider computer science to be important? And, you know, 7% of them say yes. Hmm. So there's this huge disconnect. I mean, computer science is affecting everything now. And, there, you know, it's the creative tool that enables you to get so many different things done in this day and age. I mean, I have a, uh, just yesterday I was thinking about uh, this because I, I have a, a friend who's uh, an SAT tutor, really brilliant guy, and he's trying to create a website for himself and a blog, and he's bemoaning the fact that he can't figure out how to make his blog and website look the way he wants without knowing some programming. Right. And he's frustrated, and, uh, you know, I know a professor who's constantly, in computer science, is constantly getting calls from entrepreneurs saying... You know, can we borrow some of your computer science students to help us with some idea or project we're doing? And he's like, oh, our, all our students are busy and they have their own ideas and they're doing their own thing. Maybe you should learn computer science, you know? And, you know, it's this enabling thing that, that intersects with everything now. And administrators just don't seem to get that at the school level. And I, I think the best thing parents can do is to communicate to their school districts, because these decisions are made at the local level mostly. Right. And, you know, if everybody just communicates that, the there's such overwhelming demand for it. Once it becomes obvious, I don't know how the schools can hold back. 
It's really interesting because, you know, I was actually with my niece and nephew this weekend who are both at incredible colleges. One is a freshman, one is a junior. And I said to both of them, are you going to take a computer science class like before you graduate? And they both said, I mean, my nephew, who's a junior, said, oh, it's too late. It's too late for me. I wish I had done it from the beginning. I wish I'd been in the whatever school. And, you know, I said, it's never too late. Just take one class, like take a semester. And and both of them, who are incredibly smart kids, were just way too intimidated to walk in now to a college level computer science class. Their thought was everyone else in there will have taken it in high school and they'll be at this huge disadvantage and they just, I mean, honestly, they don't want to risk their GPA. I mean, it was like a crazy thing to hear, yet made sense. Yeah, and I, I often hear stories about kids who, uh, who do discover it their junior year. They take it and they finally love it, but they're already, you know, three years into their archaeology major or whatever, right. and it just seems impractical to switch. And, you know, it's, it, it definitely, both, both of those kinds of loss of, of people, you know, being intimidated to take it or people taking it and finding out they love it too late. I mean, all those things are a loss. And, and my sense is that, this may be affecting girls even more than boys. Yes. Um, I, I mean, there's uh, right now girls are upper, underrepresented in computer science, and people are kind of aware of that issue. And there's a lot of discussion about why that is, and, and there's, it's probably multiple reasons. These things always have multiple reasons, cultural reasons, different kinds of things. But um, one thread I've heard a lot from girls is that they are afraid to, you know, they're, they're, they have this sense that the boys have been playing around with computers since they were little. And they're afraid of coming into a college classroom or something and being around these guys who, they, you know, and this, this probably isn't even a true perception, but it's their perception that the boys have this, you know, extra advantage because of all the playtime they've had with computers. And that is an intimidating factor for them. And, and it seems like that may be one of the issues that is preventing as many girls from taking these computer science classes. And it seems like the clear solution to that is to just offer this a lot earlier to, to everybody. Make right. it part of the curriculum. Yeah. yeah, I think that's where Hour of Code is, is a good first step, right? So we have Hour of Code coming up, and um, hopefully you know, we'll have thousands of schools participating. But... As a parent, you know, in our previous segment, we had someone on from Minecraft talking about the accessibility of, you know, Hour of Code at Home. Um, so aside from Codemaster, which is a great way to incorporate an Hour of Code <laughs> in your house in a very low-tech way, if you're very intimidated by a computer screen yourself um, and want to do something with your kid, but what are some other resources and suggestions you have for Hour of Code that a parent can do? Yeah, well, uh, as you've mentioned, Hour of Code is really great from that standpoint of trying to make it clear to the administrators, make it clear to the, the people who can make these decisions uh, that parents and kids care about this. I mean, a lot of the activities of Hour of Code, you go, you log on to the website, they, like, I think you were saying this, but they're available all year round, really. I mean, you can go on there at any time. Um, and, and that website, code.org, has a lot of re resources there about how you can connect to local clubs um, in your area, connect with tutors and classes, and, you know, it, there's, there's a wealth of materials in there. But there's this wonderful value in 
sort of convincing everybody to try it out during this one week. Because then they can go and say, look, we had, you know, millions of students tried this out. Look how big this push is. Look how, how strong this desire is. And, you know, again, it's about making people take notice. And so uh, I, I would say if you're looking for things in your area, certainly Code.org has a lot of great resources on their website about how to connect up with local groups. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. And we will be sure to have links to a lot of the stuff you talked about. We covered a lot of stuff today, <laughs> lots of Google resources, but and we'll have a link to Codemaster by ThinkFun, of course. And well, thanks. thanks so much. We really thanks for joining us. Yeah, I want to go you. learn how to code. I'm yeah. going to try this game. <laughs> Maybe we'll all play the game together, and we'll make a video of it. <laughs> we'll horrify our children. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, thank Mark. You. Okay. Bye. Bye. So we will be right back with our Bites of the Week. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are back with our Bites of the Week. I'm still like, my head is buzzing from the hour of code. I'm like so jazzed. Every time we have these conversations, also, all I think about is like, how do we get computer science yeah. in all the schools? And how do I stop getting my kids? How do we making, teach the teachers? Yes, how do we teach the teachers? <laughs> yep. And how do we stop having technology be about making brochures? Like I'm like <laughs> obsessed, I'm so obsessed. On the other hand, Fiona really, really, really wants guinea pigs. And she made me a pretty good looking, convincing <laughs> sign, you know, that I know all those brochure classes came in handy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the first year Matthew came in with a PowerPoint presentation of his Hanukkah list, and I think he was in junior high school, and he said, here's what I learned in school today, and sent me a PowerPoint. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, at least it's a real-world application of what you're right. learning. Yeah. Death, death PowerPoint, um, teaching computer, experience of teaching death computer skills, which back then was huge and yes, very new. Of yeah. course. All right, Andrew, you're first because you have the most um, bites. <laughs> I have the most bites because I just uh, taped a segment for WABC TV here in New York on upgrading your auto, like how to get all the snazzy things in your car without getting a new car. Um, one of them was my favorite gadget, which I've talked about here before, the Cobra Jump Pack, and mm. Amy needed one last week. I did two times in two weeks. Oh. I went out to start my car, and it was totally dead. Okay, I'm lending you mine. Yeah, maybe need well, a new car. Well, no, they they replaced the battery. <laughs> ah, okay. There was definitely a problem. Uh, but that that's my favorite gadget ever. They have a new one, so the older one, if you look on Amazon, is going to be a lot less money now. That's my tip: is to mm. look for the older oh, version, smart. because the newer version, which is the Cobra Jump Pack Eight Thousand, um, is 8, just slightly 000. smaller, you know, but it still fits in my glove compartment. So, hmm. uh, so that's it. But something else I want to talk about here in New York too. You know, we drive around, you see on the news all of these videos of accidents on the road, and you're like, wow, you know, who was shooting that? Well, Europe has been doing this for a long time, and now coming to America are dash cams. Mm-hmm. And so I've been driving. Not just for police anymore? Not just for <laughs> body cams and police, but for your own car. Very small. I have a Cobra dash cam I'm using. It's shooting HD video, and it really is 
an HD video story of where I go all day and what I do. But and isn't it's it just, just of video. the road? It's yeah, the can, road. Can I turn you can it around turn it. and do you car can, karaoke? You can absolutely right. do car karaoke. Well, that's what everyone's going to be doing. You can turn it on the side. You can turn it, you know, to record your kid in the back seat or on the front. It does swivel. Um, I love it because it's an automatically looped, so it's constantly rewriting over the mm. SD card. But ah. if it if the uh, sensor in this unit detects impact, it will lock down that part mm-hmm. of video. It records, I think, in three-minute segments, and it locks down. And for New York City parking, if you're parked and your car's not on, but it detects impact on your car it turns it on. it turns it on oh so you could so aim it to the smart. side so, and get the person who yes. you or keyed <laughs> yes. you how about keyed exactly i don't know if that's enough of an impact yeah. you don't think maybe keying you in the parking lot so these are gadgets that i'm using there i i think you can get the, like the, this dash cam's a little more i think it's 129 but this has gps and bluetooth but you can get one for as little as 89 dollars. the only problem is someone's going to break into your car to steal it off your dash cam. you can take it off the windshield i'm going to have it on the windshield <laughs> but you won't have the video of them doing thing. it <laughs> you'll have the video of that hand going right, right over exactly. the dash cam. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, so those are it. And, and and the third thing that I love, since I'm going to go on about Bytes here, is my Viper Smart Start. So it's a module installed in my car. It's really cold in New Jersey. My car's not in a heated car. It's not even in a garage. It's outside. And I use the Smart Start 4.0 app on my phone, <gasps> and I start my car. Oh. Five minutes before it's time oh, to go. Oh, you warm it up. And I warm up <gasps> the car. Of course, you can also use a key fob, which is, you know, low tech these right. days. Cause, but here's the really cool thing. I have an Asus ZenWatch 2 on using an app on my wrist. Hmm. I can start my car. That's so that's cool. the coolest thing. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That and to neat. the terror of teenagers everywhere, it has GPS and you can set an alert saying if you go over 55 miles an hour I'm going to get a text message. Oh right, like Ford has that built if in. If you now, go out of right town, if you go out of the area, yeah. I will get a message. So those are my car upgrades. I, you know, if you're wow. looking for a gift idea for someone, warmth and a battery Security. charger. I like that yeah. warmth thing. Warmth. I might do that for my dad for Hanukkah. Hmm. I can say that cuz I know so he doesn't awesome. listen to my podcast. So. <laughs> 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 like and, and when you buy it, thing. like if you buy it at Best Buy, you yeah. can get them to install it. So you could buy it and set up the install for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right. Last year I got okay. him an R2-D2. Um, the little charger? The little charger for I the love car. That from thing. <laughs> that thing's awesome. awesome. Sits in the cup holder. <laughs> And right, nobody's Amy. stolen that. He takes it back inside. With Smart. It. We live in, he is in Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I, that's a whole other yeah. podcast of my childhood spent at Mr. Glass. <laughs> at least once a week. <laughs> right. Getting yes, winter too. replaced at Mr. Glass. New York in the 80s, people. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Glass. Oh, Remember still the club? now in my neighborhood. Remember the club? We had yeah. the club. Oh, my God. I had that club on my car for the, the whole... You couldn't yeah. leave a dime in the backseat. <sighs> yeah. That would get stolen. All right, Amy. All right, mine's lame because I'm in a bit of a food depression right now. Aww. Um, Aww. Food funk. <laughs> I, I am. I'm in no a, that's a good term. descriptions food for funk. Amy. No, <laughs> not for a few weeks. I spent Sunday in the ER. I thought that I was dying, um, but it turns out it was just my gallbladder. So I can't have much fat until I have my gallbladder taken out. So my bite of the week is fat. Cheese, what? <laughs> cheese, avocados, olive oil, butter, eat all it. the things that I can't have, eat them for me for the next few weeks. And I hope that this gets taken care of before I miss out completely on like Christmas cookies and Christmas dinner and 
Yeah, so eat it for me. Oh, my God. Everyone hear how sad Amy is? You don't understand. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, people don't understand how much this affects me. Like, food is joy. And food without fat is just not all that joyful. It's not. And it turns out much healthier for you. So it's not good to miss the fat, although not in your case until you get your gallbladder removed. Um, Which Amy will periscope, and we'll put it on our Facebook (laughs) So my bite of the week this week is my daughters are 13. They're at a weird reading age. They are too old for a lot of books that are like maybe at Barnes & Noble. They're like young teen. They're really bored of the YA novels. Mm -hmm. Like they've just they're too repetitive. They've run their course. But they're a little too young. So I was a voracious reader. And at their age, I definitely was reading like Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. There are, they'll read them like they trudge through Vanity Fair at my behest. But I don't know if it's the age or they spend so much screen time. They have less attention span because my girls are crazy readers. Those books were hard for like they didn't want that much of a challenge. Yeah. But they wanted a better book, like a meatier, better book. And it's been really, really difficult. So this week, um, a friend of mine posted a link to an article on HuffPo it was just like the best like books all women should read like and they're all by women authors which oh, is I also Oh, I want to see that list. It's a great list. And so some of them were a little too mature, but a lot of them fear gave me flying. great ideas. Yeah, it wasn't fear <laughs> of flying. There was no Eric Jong on the list. But there there first of all there were a lot of really diverse authors, which I loved because there were authors I hadn't heard of. There were authors who like a lot of it was writing about, you know, life in the Virgin Islands, life but always from a women's point of view, which I would like to say, like, aside from a lot of those classic women, I really hadn't heard a lot of them. Yeah. But it reminded me of the books that I did love, like authors like Jhumpa Lahiri, like book mm-hmm. authors like that that they absolutely could be reading, that the books are not there's not too much sexual content mm-hmm. and there's not too much that goes over their head. Like I think that happened in Pride and Prejudice, the understanding, the subtlety that like someone was pregnant. They did not get that. Yeah. Um, and that was so crucial to the story. Like it's so hard to understand the social norms of right. that time mm-hmm. to understand what you're saying. The idea that someone would be cast out because they like ran away with their boyfriend. Like who cares? Yeah. That seemed weird. So it's a great article. I highly recommend it. And I think I'm going to buy a bunch of books for myself. Did you guys read Americana? No. See, there are all these great books on the list. Right. I'm like, I, I need to look at the list. I might need a book club. But that we should is my share bite of books. The week. We should like make a list of all the books we've read and recommend and share them with yeah. each other. Because and, and if you're listening and you've got a book recommendation for women yeah. <laughs> or for middle teen, like mm. young teen, that I'm are reading, not. I'm reading Brooklyn right now, and there isn't anything in it oh, yet Brooklyn's that a good would idea. be inappropriate Brooklyn's for teens. It's a good book. It's funny. It's a yeah. lot of um. <laughs> immigrant stories right because they make such incredible mm-hmm. stories yeah. so another friend of mine recommended the chosen which i don't know if you remember mm, yeah, like that's such yeah. a old wow. classic yeah. and i was like oh that is a good you one you know i just read a book boston girl which also yeah. is like an immigrant story it was written by the woman who wrote i can't remember her name of course but she wrote the oh anita diamond she wrote the red tent which was my all-time favorite. oh the red tent would be good maybe <laughs> my, my daughter just told us what she wants for Christmas. Not that we were asking. Um, she said she wants guinea pigs and a whole bunch of books. And on the one hand, I was like, yay. On the other hand, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to reach out to my friends on what to buy her because yeah, I'm well, terrible at I that. I do think Teen Lit Rocks is still my go-to website for um, middle grade and YA 
I just think my girls have outgrown. Oh, definitely. Although I no, haven't. Fiona's right in there. Yeah, Fiona's she's 11. right in there. I actually just might have her come over and take books off our bookshelf. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Merry go shopping in our bookcase. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Andrea. We had you back in the studio. Yay! <laughs> Glad Thanks, to be back. Amy, who thankfully, even though she can't eat, did make it through Thanksgiving. So <laughs> well, it happened let's after be Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was probably caused by Thanksgiving, probably. but at least I got to eat on and Thanksgiving. Maybe all the chocolate shopping your mom did. Uh, but that's a whole other. Discussion. Why didn't you recommend that, Lila? chocolate oh there you know what because it's too depressing she can't eat it now because she doesn't want to yeah. talk about all those bags with her name on it i like chocolates people uh, i think you can order online you can totally they're order online tr- they're the best they are the best my mom took us there over the weekend and bought us an insane amount of chocolate and because we wanted to avoid fist fights we labeled all the boxes that was the funniest thing ever and but the picture i saw all said amy i well, know mine too <laughs> okay in my defense my kids were off at another place labeling theirs, so they were taking care of their boxes, but there were like seven or eight boxes and bags for me and one for my husband because he was the only one who didn't come with us. So if you don't come... You snooze, you lose. exactly. So his fault. Amen. Amen. right. (laughs) Until next week. We will... You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash parentingbites. We'll have links to everything, including lilac chocolates. Definitely. And um, Hour of Code, please check it out. Tell us what you did with your kids. Tell us if your school did something and find us on twitter at hashtag parenting bites and of course on itunes rate us review us subscribe on just itunes find us parenting bites you can do the search b-y-t-e-s and of course on play.it where you'll find parenting bites and all the cbs podcasts until next week happy chocolate ordering and happy hour of code (laughs) Bye. bye